to Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in, as usual. It is always much appreciated. I have quite a bit to cover this evening. Um, you know, for, this is now heading into the the biggest lull of the offseason, really, with OTAs and minicamp behind us. All the big news stories for the offseason are pretty much done. There will be little, you know, little odds and ends here and there of, uh, you know, breaking news stories, but those will be few and far between. However, that doesn't mean we can't break down position groups or go through an array of topics as they present themselves throughout the off season or through the remainder of the off season. Only six more weeks, roughly. The Jets announced yesterday uh, they released their training camp schedule. We'll talk a little bit about that. We will also be joined by former Jets linebacker and SNY Jets analyst Chad Cascadden. Uh, most of you are familiar with Chad. He's, a, again, former player, played under uh, Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick when he was the coordinator uh, for the uh, 98 AFC Championship team, uh, who played in the 1998 AFC Championship game. Came away with a couple sacks on John Elway. We'll also be joined by Christian Dyer of Metro New York. And he's going to join us a little bit later on in the show, as he always does. And uh, we'll go through a few topics with Christian as well. So it's going to be, uh, we'll do, we'll probably come in around an hour, an hour and a half tonight. And again, looking forward to going through a few a few topics. If you want to call in, it's 646-716-4697. And as I said a couple weeks ago, I know I'm, I know I'm guilty of this. Uh, not, not great at the, uh, the, self-promotion or promotion of the show. I just get on and start talking about the Jets and forget about everything else. But um, if you can, if you're a regular listener, do us a favor and go on to iTunes and leave us a review. Good, bad, ugly, otherwise, whatever, it doesn't really matter. We want uh, good, honest feedback so we can look at ways to improve the show. And whenever you get a minute, I know it's, uh, we got a, everyone's got a lot going on. But if you could take a couple minutes, that would be awesome. And uh, also wanted to say thank you to our sponsor, Miles Social. Miles Social, they will take care of all of your social media needs. They take care of your business needs, websites, and SEOs. Check them out at milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social.com. If you're a small business owner yourself, you know how many hats you got to wear and how busy things can get. If you or yourself are trying to run a small, or, or someone you know is trying to run a small business, and uh, feel like you could take a load off or take take a little bit off your plate, get in touch with Miles Social. They'll take care of all your social media and uh, help you optimize your website, direct more traffic to your site, and hopefully more customers through your doors and more money in your pockets. So give them a look when you get a chance. Miles Social, good people over there. And so we'll start off right away with uh, with the the training camp 
training camp release dates, which not not generally a huge story, but I think the uh, I think the thing I, I think fans are going to be upset about this, um, right or wrong. The Jets have significantly uh, cut down on the the number of dates that will be available to the general public. If you're a Jets fan and you were hoping to get out to five, six, seven practices this offseason or this preseason, you're going to be disappointed. Um, basically, what the Jets have released is a, a schedule that includes three days that are open to the general public, um, with the fourth day being the green and white scrimmage, which will not be held at MetLife Stadium this year, but instead will be held at Rutgers University. So a couple of changes there. Far less access. I think one thing that will play a role in that, for those of you who didn't know already, the Jets will be heading down to Virginia for a few days to practice with the Redskins. But even still, three days of practice, you're talking about logistics, you're probably looking at five days of work. Um, so that's five days out of pocket, out of Florham Park. But uh, only three days to the public. So I've already heard a few fans grumbling about that, you know, why are they cutting back. Diehard fans want to go. We're aching for football. And we are. Let's Let's face it. You know, season can't get here soon enough. I know for me personally, we're still working out some things on uh, logistically and, and, and working with the Jets. Our understanding as of right now is that we will be on the sidelines again this preseason um, during training camp, and I myself will be booking my flights over to the U.S. as soon as we get the official stamp of approval. Um, again, not don't foresee any issues as to why we wouldn't, but uh, you don't count your chickens before they hatch. And we hope we are welcomed once again. And if we are, we will be there covering it. It'll be myself, and probably you know, for those of you that have, that have been listening to the show, you know, we have uh, some new writers on board. So we'll be uh, we'll be working to possibly get them some access to training camp. And um, those of you who check out the message boards on JetNation.com and who watch them during the preseason, uh, KRL uh, is the screen name for uh, Kevin who is one of the folks who goes down to camp. I've been there with him the last couple of years. And I'll tell you what, uh, Kevin does a better breakdown of the daily practices than anybody out there. Um, I don't care who, which Jets beat writer you're following. Uh, the amount of detail he puts into his camp reports is fantastic. So he, it, he will be there for at least, uh, my understanding, is the first week and uh, of camp, which we appreciate. I myself anticipate being there for the first 11 or 12 days of camp. And then we will work it out from there. We don't have anything set in stone, but we'll get there. We will be at camp. And, again, uh, it will be critical coverage this year because not nearly as many uh, days, that, as, we, as I said, that fans will be, you know, able to come out and, and watch the team themselves. So people will be watching closely, you know, whether it's uh, through Twitter or, or, you know, the our follow-up articles on JetNation.com. Uh, but we will be out there. We will be covering camp. Again, as far as I know, still waiting on official word. Um, so just a few things, give you a little preview of what we're going we're gonna to discuss with. Uh, we've got, as I said, Chad Cascadden coming up in a little bit. He should be calling it in a few minutes. We're going to talk to him about, uh, I mean, let's face it, we know the Jets have an issue with edge rusher, you know, who, who could emerge there. And I figure it's a good opportunity to, to bring that up with Chad as a former outside linebacker himself. Talk about the wide receivers, because I know I've talked about it sort of, sort of ad nauseum this offseason, and I know some folks have disagreed with me. Not many, but uh, there are some people who feel like the, uh, the wide receiver core isn't that good um, and know that, that you know this isn't a group that's uh, 
had a long track record of, of performing well, but they do have a lot of young guys who have all performed well in just the last two or three years. Uh, if you look at Robbie this year, Jermaine Kirst this year, Quincy Onunwa last year, or not the, the previous season when he wasn't injured, um, Terrell Pryor a couple of years ago when he wasn't injured. So uh, a group that really all, – all, a bunch of guys under 30 and a bunch of guys who have posted eight, nine hundred, you know, 1,000 yards and, you know, putting all those guys on the field at one time could be an interesting scenario. We'll also talk a little bit about the quarterback room. We know right now that it's better than it's been arguably ever. As Christian Dyer wrote in an article, you know, a month or so ago, that some people may have looked at it and thought, you know, that's it's a little bit early to say that, and it may be, but is it? I don't think it's out of the question to say that by the time this this thing gets rolling, especially in the next year or two. Um, but even this year, with the with the young guys in in Donald and Bridgewater, and then the the mentor in McCown, this could be the best quarterback situation the Jets have had in in many of our lifetimes. And then we'll talk a little bit about Todd Bowles and, and uh, Mike McCagnan, you know, wh- where they uh, where they stand, depending on how this season how this season plays out. Because let's face it, you know, expectations, that, you know, it, it's not as if anybody's running around predicting this team's going to win a Super Bowl. And that's as evidenced by the fact that Vegas has them at 150-1. to 1. And uh, put your bets down now, folks. I did. Every year I do. Um, can't help myself. But anyway, I digress. Um, Vegas has them at 150 to 1. No one's predicting a Super Bowl for this team, but I think universally and rightfully so, people are expecting marked improvement over last year. Uh, so if that doesn't happen, if this team finishes, you know, 4 and 12, 5 and 11, 6 and 10, somewhere in that neighborhood, um, of course, a lot of it will have to do with how that happens or why. You know, it's, it's as, as I've said before, not. Not every six and ten team is identical. Not every five and eleven team is identical. Sometimes you just go out there and you get killed every week, and you have a bunch of old, aging, overpaid veterans who aren't really putting forth the effort. And then you get five and eleven, six and ten, where you have young guys that are getting better, showing improvement on a consistent basis, and making plays as the season progresses, and just shows that they're trending in the right direction. So, of course, depending on how the season unfolds will have a, a, a huge impact on how McCagnan and Bowles are viewed by ownership and, and what it means for their job security. But I, I think it's a topic worth addressing because even, even with no playoff mandate, as Christopher Johnson has said, and rightfully so, I don't think at this point it's, there's a need for a playoff mandate for a team coming off a 5-11 and season. But as I wrote a few weeks ago in talking about this, there should absolutely be a play better mandate. And that, that's something that needs to happen. If it doesn't, you know, it's uh, it's not going to be – it can't be the status quo going into next season. You can't have both guys still under contract, still working in your building um, with three consecutive seasons of sub-500. Not, not only non-playoff, but sub-500 seasons. You do that, and something's got to change. Uh, we know the roster has changed. The talent level has been increased. There's been improvement there. But uh, now they have to get it done on the field. So that's – you know, Monday Night Football, great way to open up the season. And uh, in Detroit against the Lions. And that's that's something that, that I'll bring up later um, with Christian Dyer is, you know, the talk of Darnold possibly being the, the week one starter. I know I, I mentioned it on last week's show as a possibility. And then just the following day, Jeremy Bates met with the media and said that it was absolutely a possibility. But I think that, you know, as much as I'm all for Darnold, Starting if he's ready, 
I mean, again, why why sit him if he's ready? That doesn't make sense to me. The, you know, the idea is to get him under center, get him reps, get him growing, and put him on the bench if you feel like you can win with him. doesn't make any sense. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about whether or not the, the, first, the way the season starts. You know, the Jets do have a, a brutal, brutal stretch to start the season. Um, three games in 10, 11 days to open things up because they go from a Monday game to a Sunday game to a Thursday game. And then if I'm not mistaken, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but week four is the, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, arguably the top defense in the NFL. So three games in 10, 11 days, and then your fourth game is against one of the best defenses in the NFL. So, you know, are you better off going with Josh McCown or Teddy Bridgewater, somebody who's who has faced the live bullets and uh, let things settle down a little bit, and then by maybe week five, six, seven, is where you uh, you insert Darnold. That could be the case, and it'd be interesting to know if uh, if there's any chance that, that that tough stretch early on, if that'll play a role in the Jets' decision <clears throat> as to whether or not Darnold is the week one starter. So, more you know, of course, this is going to play out during training camp, as there will be plenty of position battles to to keep an eye on, with quarterback, of course, being at the top of that list. Then, of course, at running back, you have to wonder, you know, Bilal Powell, he's had some injury issues throughout his career. Is he a guy who they're going to, you know, how are carries going to be split between him and Isaiah Crowell? I think that Crowell is the, you know, better suited to be that workhorse back, that power back. But I think we'll see a, a hefty dose of both. And Elijah McGuire, don't count him out. He's a guy, if you follow this team, if you, or sorry, if you were listening to the show last year, post-draft, you heard me say that I was, I was high on Elijah McGuire. And then, of course, after or during training camp, I had said a couple times that I thought, at least from what I saw, he was the most impressive rookie on offense for the Jets during, uh, during camp out of Florham Park. And he showed some flashes during the season, but, you know, really tough to judge a guy based on the way that offensive line played last year because they were just atrocious. Um, he was, you know, oftentimes having to, to change direction before he really got ahead of steam because of the fact that uh, because of the fact that the, the O line was so bad, he was getting redirected um, quite let's see quite quickly, basically before he had a chance to get going. Um, but Stump Mitchell, the running backs coach, said the other day, um, and I I really a few fans jumped jumped on Mitchell for this, and I kind of understand where they're coming from, but he compared him to, he compared him to Ladanian Tomlinson. That, that's 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 saying a lot, and I I think I think I understand for the most part where Mitchell was coming from, because he was talking about you know McGuire's versatility, which I've talked about quite a bit, and and a lot of people have. You know, I'm, it's not as if I'm the only person that's that's uh that's watching this guy and seeing what he can do, but he can run it, he can catch it, he can stay in and block. He's a he's a three down back. He may not be a power guy. He, he may not have the frame to stand up to be a twenty five carry guy, twenty five thirty carry guy. But uh, let's face it, there's there's just not many of those left in the league anyway. It's not as if that's what the Jets are calling on him to do. But it's just another position battle, you know, that's that's worth keeping an eye on. And and I really am curious to see what happens this season with Bilal Powell, um, <clears throat> because as I said a few times during the off season. 
not only did the Jets go out and get Crowell, not only do they still have McGuire, who they're clearly very high on, um, but they tried to sign a few different guys that really are quite similar to Bilal Powell and what he brings um, on Sundays. Very, very, basically, it was like it was as if they were trying to sign younger versions of that player, of Bilal Powell. So anytime you see that, you have to wonder if a team is looking to move on at some point. And I know we're still here now, and trades are rare in the NFL. And I don't, I don't want to see Bilal Powell go anywhere. He's, if you're a Jets fan and you've been paying attention to this team for the last seven, eight, nine years, I don't see how Bilal Powell could not be you know, one of your favorite guys on the roster. He's just been a pro's pro. He does everything that's asked of him. There's, there's nothing he doesn't do well. He just he finds a way to make people miss. His, his yards per carry is always very good. His ability to, to make something out of nothing is something that's on display consistently. He runs more power. He he's not a power runner per se. You don't see him bowling guys over. But somehow you see him, you see him coming up the middle and, and breaking tackles. And just when you think, you know, he's going to get stuffed for a two or three-yard gain, he, he, he spins off of a guy or breaks a tackle and picks up another eight, ten yards. So clearly one of the better offensive players on the roster, but also a guy who's getting a little bit long on the tooth, especially for a running back. So you have to wonder how that battle plays out in camp and if the Jets do look to move on from Powell. And again, I'm not saying they will. I just think it's it's interesting to note that they they were clearly looking at a few different players this off season who can do what he does, and they were willing to pay them rather well, uh, which would have made somebody the odd man out. Maybe maybe it would have been McGuire. You know, I had somebody say that. You know, there's no way no way Bilal's going. If anyone goes, they're going to let McGuire go. Look, McGuire's a sixth round pick. He could go, but um, anytime I see a team pick up a a young free agent, and you look at a position group where Somebody might get the boot. I always start looking at, you know, who's who, who's the guy who may only have a year or two left in the league um, or a year or two playing at their current level. And to me, that would be Bilal Powell, um, even though he is a guy who we could see play play a little bit better than your average 33, 34, 35-year-old, you know, as, as he progresses through his career. Because let's face it, as most of us know, if you look at his workload in college, he didn't get a whole lot of carries. And then his first few years in the pros, it was mostly spot duty. So he's he's 29, if I'm not mistaken, but he's he's probably he's probably playing on 26 year old legs, 27 year old legs. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see him get an extra year or two of quality play. And again, this is not me saying I want to see him go or that he will go, but um, interesting note in the fact that the Jets tried so hard to to sign somebody who would have been his replacement. And, you know, already talked about the wide receivers a little bit. And the tight ends, let's, let's talk about the tight ends for a second. And I'm going to tell you why, because I had a conversation with somebody this week, actually a little uh, a little back and forth on Twitter, if you will, with, uh, with a fellow Jets fan. And, you know, that's, that's the beauty of Twitter, when you can have a, a, you know, not every conversation, discussion, debate, argument has to be, uh, a, you know, personal and a, a uh, you know, a pissing contest, if you will. Um, just, just a conversation. We strongly disagreed, but um, I had somebody who was telling me that the, the Jets were going to seriously regret moving on from Austin Safarian Jenkins at tight end. And I, I don't know what it is about Austin Safarian Jenkins. I understand a big part of this is probably because of how poor 
the Jets' production from the tight end spot had been the previous few years. I, I completely understand that. But there are folks who are talk, they're talking about Austin Safarian Jenkins like the Jets just let go of uh, Travis Kelsey or Jimmy Graham. You know, Austin Safarian Jenkins averaged seven yards a catch last season. And, and yes, I, I, I came on this show several times and mentioned the fact that I, I felt like he could do more, that I felt like the Jets, you know, should have been putting him, position, putting him in position to make more plays down the field. Now, for whatever reason, that seems the Jets didn't think he was capable of doing that. Now, why, I have no idea. But we do know that the guy, you know, he's a big dude, not a speedster, um, but a big-bodied guy who disappeared over the last five, six, seven games of the year. He didn't do much of anything. And and when he did play, you know, when he when he did produce, he was producing seven yards seven yards a catch. I mean, this isn't uh, it's 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 2018. Big play tight ends are all over the NFL. Guys just making huge plays left and right. And Austin Safarian Jenkins comes in at seven yards a catch this past season. And Jets fans are, and it's you know, it's, like I said, it was a a little back and forth exchange I had with somebody on the, on the net. But it's not as if this was a guy who lit it up, and it's not as if there aren't a lot of Jets fans who I've heard say that. Can't believe we let ASJ go. Why they let ASJ go? And I I look at the roster and I think if you don't have somebody on on your roster right now who can give you 350 yards and seven yards a catch, there's a problem. You know, Austin Safarian Jenkins was a nice story early on. Every, I, I don't think, you know, you'd have to be a, a lunatic not to appreciate the, the fact that the man turned his life around. But uh, the folks that, that are treating this as if the Jets lost a, a cornerstone on offense, I really don't get that. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold that thought right now and go to the phones. I believe we have, uh, as I said earlier, uh, Jets linebacker Chad Cascadden was going to be joining us tonight. Hi, Chad. Is that you? Can you hear me? Hey, yeah, I can. I can. Great to hear from you, Chad, as always. Um, for those of you who've been listening to the show long enough or following the uh, the bits and pieces I do for Jet Nation through the years, um, always a pleasure to interview you, Chad. I've had you a couple times, and for those of you who don't know, Chad was the, the first player interview I did. Um, literally the day I got uh, – the day I, w- I was told I'd be writing for Jet Nation – one of the first people I looked up through the, the wonders of the Internet, contacted Chad right away, and he responded that day and, uh, you know, did a, a really enjoyable interview. And, you know, as I said at the time and, and whenever your name comes up, any any fan in any city, everyone loves the underdog who, uh, who finds a way into the league, and you're a guy who walked on in college, undrafted in the NFL, and uh, and played, played under two Hall of Fame coaches in your time with the Jets. So, uh Thank you for joining us, Chad. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome, and uh, and thanks for uh, that nice intro. Uh, uh, to the fans that are listening, uh, I did not pay him to say all those nice things, so that was very kind of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, I I actually spoke with a couple friends of mine the other day that I remembered talking to around the time we set up that first interview, and they knew that I was a fan of yours when we were much much younger. And uh, and I said, hey, Chad Cascad, and they said, yeah. I said, oh. I'm going to interview him this week. And they were like, well, you know, they, they were kind of like, 
taken aback a little. Like, wow, you were a big fan of his. Like, he was, he was a you know a guy you talked about a lot. So again, thank you so much. And I, I did a little preview for those tuning in um, as to what topics we were going to cover tonight. So, um, so let's jump into it because you, you know, I figured with you being a former outside linebacker, this would be a, a good topic to cover with you. I think it's uh, there's there's not a, a person alive that follows this team that doesn't know that opposite Jordan Jenkins on that defense, they they have a lot of basically basically nothing but question marks. They don't have a proven pass rusher. Um, they you know they have a couple guys who flashed at times. To me, I mean, really looking at the group they have now and the way they played last year, David Bass played limited reps, but he was probably the most effective pass rusher. I mean, he wasn't great. No, I- but he, yeah. he applied consistent pressure, um, and a lot of people don't talk about him. But uh, what, what's your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this group? What are your thoughts on a guy like Lorenzo Malden, who's probably this is his last shot, um, and a guy like David Bass? I I felt like Ronald Martin. Um, I'm sorry, Josh Martin last year. I felt was a guy given his speed that he might get to the quarterback a little more than he did, maybe with improved secondary play. We see that this year. But what are your thoughts on that group? Yeah. Um... Finding a finding a high end, top notch quality pass rusher, especially an edge pass rusher, is extremely hard to do. And if you can't find them, which more often than not you cannot, because one they're hard to find in the draft. Uh, I think Chubb in the draft. Uh, I think Denver got a really good player out of him. Uh, Vance Joseph, mm. the head coach there, was my. Um, he was my roommate in 1995 with the New York Jets. So Vance and I go way back, and I've known him for a very long time. And I text him, and as soon as they made the pick, and I went, you son of a gun. I go, no, yeah. <laughs> you've got two pass rushers and, and, not, and, and not zero. But getting back to the Jets, I, what the Jets need to do now, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why they hired Bowles, is to bring a, bring a defense that plays to its strengths and puts pressure on the quarterback. Now, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to put pressure on the quarterback. Notice I didn't say sacks. And the reason why I don't say sacks, now I'm sort of an old Bill Belichick kind of guy. Sacks are great, but pressure is more important. And if the Jets can apply pressure through, be it an outside pass rush, an inside pass rush, or some sort of scheme where you're bringing Darren Lee or you're bringing Adams, whether it's up the middle or on the corners, I think that's the way the Jets are going to generate that pass rush and generate that pressure and force the quarterback to throw it faster or sooner or different than he's anticipating. Um, there wasn't really anyone in the draft to take uh, that could have changed, other than Chubb. And, look, Chubb or Sam Donald, sorry, buddy. I'm taking Sam yeah. Donald. I, look, I think, I think McKagan has fallen into the last The last four years he has picked – the guy that has fallen to him that everyone goes, well, duh, of course that's the guy you pick. Leonard Williams being the first one. And he's going he's gonna to play a major role this coming year. He, need, he needs to step up. He had, what, two sacks last year? That's not enough. Yeah. But he needs yeah, to provide got, more pressure and leadership. Yeah, he, he's got to get more done. And I, I think that's a great point you make about Todd Bowles. I, I actually I said a similar thing. Or, sorry, wrote, wrote an article a couple weeks ago saying that with, with what the Jets have put together – it's it's now on Todd Bowles to find ways to get to the quarterback, be be, be it oh, sacks yeah. or pressure. Oh yeah, completely agree with you on that one. I mean, completely now, agree with you. 
Yeah, and, you know, Rex Ryan, similar thing. Rex didn't have a great pass rusher. Bowles doesn't have a great pass rusher. But how many, how many first-round picks on defense do you need before you can finally find a way to get to the quarterback? And um, that's where I think – and we'll see, we'll see how it all unfolds. But I think with, with having Minter on the roster, maybe he spells Darren Lee on passing downs, and you let Darren Lee in his 4-4-7 speed go to the outside and try to get to the quarterback. Problem is he's undersized. If a tackle gets his hand on him, he's going to be done. But it, it's up to Todd Bowles. It, it's on him to, to find ways to, to get that done because, as, as you said, and as most of us know, there is no blue-chip guy. You know, Lorenzo Maldon will have a shot, but he, you know, he's been up and down even when he's been healthy. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see. And um, let, let's look at the other side of the ball for a second because this is the group I'm most excited about. Um, and I've, ta- I've talked about it quite a bit this offseason. This, this wide receiver group the Jets have put together, um, I've heard people say we don't have a true number one, which honestly I don't care about because when you look at the, the receivers they have and what some of these guys have done, yes, of course, you know, Enunwa and Pryor were hurt last year, but if you just go back a year to two years, every receiver on the roster is under 30 years old and has had a season of 800 or more yards. I mean, and they have four or five guys, like, I would, I would love to know. I, would, I wish I had a contact at Elias. I'd love to know how many NFL teams have four to five receivers who have put up 800 yards in the last two years and are under 30. Because the Jets, I think, are in a pretty enviable position there. Um, even if even if Inunua or Pryor doesn't – even if one of those guys is healthy, um, I think they can create some serious mismatches on offense. I agree with you. Do you think they have enough of them on the roster? What do they got, about 17, 18 of them? I don't, it's pretty Yeah, and it's crazy. Every pretty time they catch somebody, it, it, seems, it seems like they pick up a wide receiver to replace them. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, I I think as and, and I and I I don't think you would disagree with with me in the sense of as the NFL progresses and, and as it develops, you're starting to see that um, you know that bell cow of a running back is not necessary to win a Super Bowl. As a matter of fact, if you actually look at the stats, uh, more often than not, the running back is really not a stellar. Running back, maybe it's maybe 800 yards, maybe 900, but really it's it's two backs, or it's a back that can catch out of the backfield because it's a more open passing type of league. Look at the Patriots, uh, look at look at Philly, and so what I'm trying to back out is it's now more tight end, it's more running, it's it's more wide receivers. So the Jets have great receivers. No, there's not going to be a guy that catches 105 passes. I don't, I don't think that exists anymore. It gets spread around too much. So what I think the Jets and McCagman are trying to do is fill the cabinet with as much talent as possible. And I think the Jets have done a very nice job of putting enough guys out there. At, and you say there's no true number one. Well, I don't know. You know, Robbie Anderson, whether you think he's a one or not, I mean, he showed me, and despite what, you know, has happened in the offseason, you know, and, and off the field, I mean, to me, <laughs> if I'm a corner, holy cow, dude, that kid is scary. Scary good. Yeah. And then, and yeah, then you I'll got – what I... you... No, sorry, you got you, you, you got Quincy coming back off of, uh, uh, of an injury. You've got Curse. You've got – you know, and, and don't forget on some of these – you know, Chad Hansen, he's developing nicely as a slot. You got Darren Smith, who's a home run hitter. Who knows? Maybe he'll come back. I don't know. Uh, you got Terrell Pryor with an ankle injury, but hey, you don't know. Maybe he comes back. Now, suddenly, it, it, if you look at it, Rosie, 
it looks really good. Now, granted, you know, injuries occur and things happen, but there's a group there, man. And now you've got – look, I, I'm not sure what people think about the quarterback situation. Maybe I'm going too quickly in this conversation, but with three guys who, who can play at quarterback and this receiving core, and now you've got – you know, you've got a pretty good – you've got a good defense uh, posed to move forward. And, and, and this is on Bowles now. He's got enough ingredients in the kitchen to cook a meal. And so the pressure's on him. And, and, and I agree with that, and we, we will get that to a second because we talked – we, uh, I mentioned briefly uh, a little bit mm-hmm. earlier that we touched on that. But you mentioned yeah, the sorry QB about that. Room. I'm getting ahead of No, I'm that's ahead of myself, quite all sorry. right, quite all right. <laughs> um, you mentioned the QB room. And I know, as I mentioned earlier, Christian Dyer, who's going to join us later, he uh, covers the Jets and Giants for Metro. He he wrote an article just a month or so ago saying that this might be the best position the Jets have ever been in at quarterback. And it's the, when you look at how bad they've been for so long, it, he may be right. I mean, you've basically got anything you could possibly want. You know, if, if you if you list three, four, or five prototypes of quarterbacks, they've got they've got the young top prospect they've got the young quarterback who's proven he can play in the league and get to the playoffs and they've got the veteran mentor they everything you could want is there it's a matter of who steps up and takes that job but just where do you where do you when you look at this i mean talk about night and day from when when uh when mike mccagnan took over and it was geno smith and matt sims and and mike vick or what you know whoever was here um to what it is today how crazy is that you know these 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 shifts in management and head coaching and uh, you know nobody likes to hear rebuilding project nobody likes to hear hey you know we've got a bill for the future but in reality if if you want to win in this league you've got to set a foundation and that foundation comes from good management over time developing talent getting in talent and it's, it's not a one, two year process. It, it has to be three, four, five, six years. And, and if you start to see like last year, I know, I know they, they didn't improve their record, but I'll tell you what, I, I felt like they were on an upward trend. And so there, there's something to be said about that. Uh, the talent's getting better. The attitude of the team felt better. They were playing hard. Uh, it didn't feel like they were getting out coached as much. I still think McCag. I'm sorry. I'm st- I still think Bulls has some improvements to make. Uh, improvements to make, but um, things are moving forward. And I think the, I think the Jets fan can feel that and sense that and see it on the field. And now it's time to take that next step. And I think McCagnan's done a nice job of putting the talent on the field. Now it's a matter of okay, quarterback. You've got a proven veteran that can throw the ball. You've got a guy that like Teddy Bridgewater, who's an X factor. Who knows? He might be amazing. And then you've got Sam, who's your future. It's a great, great situation to be in. I mean, there, there's a lot of teams out there that wish that they were in a situation like the Jets. And so uh, the Jet fans can rest assured that, hey, you're moving forward in the correct direction. Now it's the question of, okay, how do we, you know, how do you beat the Giant, which is New England? Because if you can't beat New England, it doesn't matter what you do, right? Because they're, they're, you know, they're the head honcho. Yep, and he, I'll tell you what. Even, even with Tom Brady mentioning this week that retirement is here soon, you know, sooner than he thought. 
I'm, I just I just assume he's going to play another ten years just to just to set my <laughs> my mind at ease. I'm not going to get my hopes up until he's until he's been out of the league three or four years. I'm not going to I'm not going to sleep easy because you just you can't. The, the number of times they get written off or this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and all they do is go out and you know they, they win twelve games every year. It's just it's unbelievable. But uh, you know it's something that hopefully you know once he is gone, having a guy like Donald and you know Bridgewater. Bridgewater might be the most talked about guy on the team this offseason because, I mean, you can't, you can't rule out the possibility. What do you do if you're the Jets and Teddy Bridgewater wins the, the, the job out of camp and he starts the season 4-1 and one or 4-2 and two even? You can't really bench him. Do, do you run the risk of trading him before the deadline and you may have just traded away a franchise guy? It's, it could get interesting. And, and I'll tell you what, as a Jets fan, I, I hope that's a problem they have. I hope the Jets' biggest problem this year is they have too many quarterbacks playing well so they don't know what to do. Because for the last 30 years, I've been waiting for one to play well for more than a year or two at a time. It's been, uh, it's been you know, far, far – I, I figure since I started following the Jets as a kid, they average about one good year of quarterback play a decade. Vinny had a good year. Chad had a good year. Fitz had a good year. And then it's all, it all falls apart for one reason or another. But um, – <laughs> But but moving on, and, and I think we kind of know where you stand. You've, uh, a couple comments you've made, but this is something that I've been I've been giving some thought to because the you know the vibe around the Jets right now is very positive. The fans are feeling good. You got Darnold, you know some some promising young players in the draft. Good news that Hanson's coming along. Some of these picks are developing, but you know there there's of course there's the what if. What if they go out there this year? And I'm I'm glad you said earlier about you know, the record not improving from one year to the next, but it felt different because that was the exact point I made just before you called in that, you know, not every 6-10 and 10 is identical to another 6-10. and 10. Sometimes you're just a disaster. You find a way to lose every week. Other times it's, it's a team, that, a young team that's growing and getting better and fighting, and you can see that you're on the upward swing, which is basically what you've just described. So that, I think that's kind of what Jets fans feel about last year, and a lot of people are expecting, I know I'm expecting, some better results. But let's say let's say this year isn't a whole lot different than last year. Six and ten, no big winning streaks, no big losing streaks, just a couple wins, couple losses. Who whose seat gets hotter? Is it Mike McCagnan or is it Todd Bowles? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I feel like McCagnan, while he whiffed on a couple of picks obviously, um, with the biggest being uh Christian Hackenberg, which we're all mm. you know we're all disappointed on look we're all disappointed not 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 just selfishly because you know we were hoping that he was the quarterback of the future but he's a good kid right he's a real you know a lot of people forget that these guys are human he's a really good guy and you, you just you want him to succeed and you gave him every every opportunity to prove that he could and you know what it just wasn't there and maybe he'll go somewhere else and be okay i, I don't know uh but I will say this: If the Jets struggle this year, um, it's it, it's going to fall it's going to fall on Bowles, and rightfully so, rightfully so. Um, he's been given. I, I didn't think last year if he would have gotten fired, I don't think I don't think that would have been fair. I think I think I Bowles earned. I think he earned the the opportunity to have uh, another year of head coaching of this team. I, he earned it. I thought he did a good job of keeping the locker room together. I thought he led the team correctly. Um, however, to take that next step to championship level football, you know, you've got to make sure that you're, you know, Jets, the last year they were kind of doing some things that were just, let's put it this way. 
having played for Belichick and Parcells and, and Alvarez at Wisconsin, who, you know, he's got a statue outside of the stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's pretty good. Um, there's some, there's some eyes that weren't dotted and T's that weren't crossed. You know, there's some substitution issues. There was some bad play calling. Uh, there were some timeouts called or not called when they should or should not have been. Uh, there was just things that I sat there and I kind of went, huh, what is, you know, why are you doing this? And those are the things that need to get corrected because those little things, and I'm sure you'll know that you know this, even in the real world, those little things turn into big things when you start get to the top. And if you're looking to get to the top, you got to have that stuff buttoned up. And I'm hoping Todd does it. Uh, I think he can do it, but he's got to show me first. And I think he deserves it. Uh, if he stumbles this year, then I think you gotta, I think you gotta reevaluate. Uh, if he doesn't stumble, then you know, good for good for the Jets, man. They got a good guy. I like him a lot. I think he's a good coach. I think players respect him. He's certainly sharp. He's certainly smart. Uh, but it is a production business, and so uh, I'm, I'm. Look, I'm pulling for I'm pulling for Bowles. I'm pulling for the Jets. Yeah, I agree. I, I will say uh, I'm sure myself and a lot of fans last year there were there were enough head scratching moves to kind of in that heat of the moment. You know. It's like they say, that's why fans aren't owners because you'd have a new coach after every loss. Um, you know, there were there were so many frustrating losses, uh, you know, blowing second half and and all this. But at the end of the day, the, you know, the team performed at a level higher than most expected. And the, you know, I personally, I would have liked to have seen the Muhammad Wilkerson benching happen a bit sooner than it did. Um, that yeah. would probably be my, my my biggest issue with last season. But yep. um, given the talent that was on the roster, I don't. I don't think he did a great job, but I think he did a good enough job that you, you give him another year. Um, but that's kind of where I am with this team. I mean, he now has a legitimate number one corner, and, of course, that pushes his last year's number one Claiborne over to two. So yeah, he's upgraded to both corner spots. Claiborne at two is good, man. I'm, I, I don't think people realize the how <laughs> that's, that signing of Tremaine on the, uh, at the one, pushing mm-hmm. Claiborne to two. Holy yeah. cow! And you got May, and you got Adams at safety. Holy cow, dude! That backside of the Jets—that's as good as you'll see in the league. That's as good and, as and you'll see in the league. And that's why the results have to be there. And that you know, again, as you said, Todd Bowles, defensive guy, was brought in to win, and now he's got you know, presumably all the pieces. The biggest thing, of course, being can Claiborne stay healthy. Um, time will tell. But I uh, just want to say thank you so much for joining us, Chad. We really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to maybe having you on again sometime in the future. Yeah, and whenever you – just give me a call. Love to talk. Hey, all you Jets fans, thank you for listening. And, uh, hey, man, I'm pulling for the Jets. I think they're going to be okay this year. Uh, and uh, I look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Chad. Appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. All right, so that's former Jets linebacker Chad Cascadden, who, um, as I said, you know, uh, always good talking to Chad. That's the third, fourth time I've interviewed him. Uh, first player I had the chance to interview when I started writing for Jet Nation, so always always look forward to getting to talk to him. And, listen, he made some fair points. I, I promise I didn't, uh, I didn't ask him to, to repeat a lot of what I've been saying this offseason, but he, he kind of did. And which is encouraging because, you know, a lot of it is a lot of it's positive stuff, you know, especially the, the receiver situation. They, I, I took some heat last year because I said that I thought 
even though the Jets didn't have that the, the great young quarterback yet, you know, you kind of I think for for a lot of fans, you know, with with Hackenberg, it was more you know hoping against hope. I know personally, and I've mentioned this a million times on the show, having seen him at that that Jets Eagles game, I just I kind of deep down I knew he was never going to make it. But then I just tell myself, hey, nobody knows, you know, what might happen. Let's let's hope he's the guy. Kind of felt like he wasn't. But then last year's draft, which a lot of, it, it didn't make sense to me. I understand some people were upset with taking Jamal Adams at six, and they wanted a quarterback, and I get all that. But because the, because Mike McCagnan took Jamal Adams at six, the number of fans I heard that were saying, you know, and on, after the draft, when the draft had concluded, what's going on, this team again, we never draft offense, we never draft all we ever do is draft defense. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm, I'm looking at the choices, and I'm thinking, you took you took Chad Hansen, you took Ardarius Stewart, you took Jordan Leggett, you drafted Eli McGuire. Like, it's, fans get so wrapped up on the number one pick that they treat it like it's the only pick. And I said at the time, I said, I think this is Mike McCagnin laying the groundwork for whoever his quarterback is next year, that being this year, knowing that whether it was going to be Hackenberg, which I figured it wouldn't, but I figured it's either going to be a free agent, a Kirk Cousins type, or they're going to draft one. And there was never a doubt in my mind. And there shouldn't have been a doubt in anybody's mind. You know, I'd still, I'd still come across people, oh, McCagney, he's going to draft defense again. I said, are you out of your mind? Not this, no, not this season. It was always going to be a quarterback. And now, instead of Sam Darnold coming into the league to throw to a bunch of receivers, you know, if you were drafted Darnold this year with a couple of receivers, well, now everybody's trying to learn together. You know, now at least you have an Ardarius Stewart, a Chad Hansen, Jordan Leggett. Yes, Jordan Leggett was hurt, but he's still got a year in the league. He still understands, you know, he's now got a year of watching how teams and players prepare on a weekly basis. So now Stan Darnold comes into a situation where he's got a lot of targets, a lot of guys who are young, who are fast, dynamic. I hear people say this team doesn't have some – I've heard people say this team doesn't have any playmakers on offense. Now, no, they don't have five, but I'll tell you what, Robbie Anderson is a playmaker. People that say, you know, and I brought this up on the show recently, oh, he's a one-trick pony. Listen, if you're a one-trick pony and that one trick – is that you're the fastest guy in the field and you run past everybody and score touchdowns? I'm all right with that. No problem with that at all. But uh, we're going to go to the phones right now. I believe this may be our friend Christian Dyer. Christian, is that you? It is. How are you? I'm doing great, Christian. Just uh, just got off the phone with uh, former line, Jets linebacker Chad Cascadden, who you're familiar with. He had some some interesting thoughts and uh, always always a fun interview. I've had the chance to speak with him a few times. But um, first of all, Christian, uh, the one thing we, we're all dying to know is how was that pizza last week? <laughs> I'll tell you what, it, it wasn't too bad. Now, my wife's got me into cauliflower pizza, which is like oh. uh, unbelievable, uh. unbelievable. But but what she um, ended up bringing home, uh, Jimmy Tomato, Johnny Tomato, something like that. It, it was very good, very solid pizza. But once you have cauliflower pizza, there's no going back. Uh, that's just... Uh. That's, you know, I, I made myself a promise that my kids would never have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from New York, but my kids now, they're both born in England. They lived in the States for a few years. They're only four and five. 
but we're out the other day, and I like, there's a few things you promise yourself as a parent, you know, when you're raising your kids, and one of mine was, my kids will never have pizza with pineapple on it. It just won't happen. And then I was out last week, a couple of weeks ago with some family and friends, and someone at the table ordered a pie with pineapple on it. And my kids are like, Daddy, I want to try that. And everyone's looking at me like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, go ahead, have pizza with pineapple on it. But I'm, I'm, I'll never do it. Sacrilege. No. You just don't do it. No, it's, it's, I, for, for, for me, a Hawaiian pizza is is tantamount to being strung up by your thumbs if you're from New York. It's but not even – once you start throwing fruit, fruit on pizza, it's not a pizza anymore. It's now a thing that includes This is the crust. It's a cauliflower crust pizza. So it adds a whole herbal kind of dynamic taste to it. it, it it'll blow your mind. I, I, I had one bite, and, and noises were coming out of me that had my wife raising her eyebrows. <laughs> well, I, I will take your word for it on that, Christian. But getting to the Jets, a couple things we were going to cover tonight. Uh, this is something that I – I, I think a lot of fans are torn on. I see some fans get pretty upset about it, and other fans that really just don't care. They're like, hey, fine, he's a confident guy. But Jamal Adams, okay, so he's got a year <laughs> in the league, yeah. played played very well, did a really nice job around the line of scrimmage, gave up more touchdowns than you'd like, but let's let's be honest, a couple of those, you know, there was the one to Njoku, the one to Gronk, where he basically, you know, should have been an offensive pass interference, wasn't called. But all that aside, he had a nice year. Can't take that away from him. But for a guy who's got one year in the league, some of the the amount of talking he's been doing. I'm an old school guy. I'm, I have no problem with confidence. You want to be confident and say, I believe I can do this and ball, that's fine. But Jamal Adams is at a point where he's doing a lot of talking for a guy who hasn't done much. Um, and I, when I say hasn't done much, he, and I, I could be wrong, but I, until he tweeted it, I'd never heard this from any – player, coach, media member, anyone. But he kind of made this proclamation like, they call me the president. And he started including that and hashtagging that in all his tweets. So I guess that's his nickname? That he's, It seems that he's given himself, which I don't – I think that goes against the nickname rules. But um, And I could be wrong. Maybe someone else does call him president. But I've never heard that. But, uh, you know, I'm never going to miss another Pro Bowl – He's tweeting out Troy Polamalu's stats because he didn't have any picks in his first year. So I'm not directly saying he's going to be Troy Polamalu. I get that. He's just kind of saying just because you don't have a pick in year one doesn't mean you won't be great, which I understand. But, again, for a guy who's done as little as he has, it's one year in the league, and he's saying, here I am, call me president, Polamalu, and I'm never going to miss another Pro Bowl. Is that a little over the top? And do you, do you see why some fans look at that and say, you know, let, let your play do the talking for you, you know, and, uh, and and not you do it for yourself? Well, I, I mean, I can't help but wonder whoever called him president maybe was doing somewhat derisively and, and making fun of our current president who's never seen a tweet <laughs> that he didn't want to send out. Um, Entirely possible. Politics aside, I think that's something we can probably agree on, on both sides of the aisle is that, uh, you know, the, the, the current president is transforming how Twitter's being used, both in terms of opinion, but also bravado. And I think the comparisons there to Jamal Adams are, are rather apt. And if a teammate decided to call him the president kind of somewhat in a in tongue-in-cheek, ironic sort of way, um, it, it makes an awful lot of sense. I mean, a, a lot of athletes will come out, and like you said, 
uh, they'll show a lot of confidence and usually come year two, there's a little bit of humbleness and humility to them, unless they're an Odell Beckham who, who transformed things and was Pro Bowl, all pro his rookie year and, you know, had, had those major moments uh, during that first season with the Giants then you're kind of excused for it. But you look at Jamal Adams and the numbers he put up, 83 tackles, it's certainly for a rookie is a good, solid number. But everything else, six passes defended, no interceptions, uh, was, was kind of ho-hum a little bit in, in, in the run support and the way that he did things. Now, this wasn't a guy who transformed things. This, this isn't a guy who uh, has been on ESPN's uh, Sports Center's top 10 plays uh, week in, week out. He was a good pick. Uh, he certainly lived up to being the number six pick. He's going to be a part of that Jets back end for an awful long period of time. You love his confidence. You love the fact that, you know, he was going after uh, Tyron Matu uh, during the offseason in free agency and was lobbying, and, and he wants to transform the Jets. And he sees, you know, it's you will never hear the word same old Jets ever uttered from uh, Jamal Adams' mouth. But at a certain point, you have to say, well, maybe spend a little bit more time in, in the film room and the weight room uh, and a little bit less time away from your iPhone because right now Jamal Adams is not a distraction necessarily because it is the off season, but you're beginning mm-hmm. to think, okay, he's, he's putting a target on his back and with the media and, and in particular the New York media and, and the tabloid mentality that permeates uh, uh, virtually every media outlet out here, including television, he's going to be the one that they're going to try to get the gotcha questions with. It, it happened a few years ago with Antonio Cromartie. He yep, made some absolutely. sort of brash, exactly brash comment. And, and, and this really is, could be an issue for a Jets organization that – Still, despite the fact that uh, arrests are down, off-the-field distractions have been cleaned up, the the head coach, uh, to our knowledge, do- doesn't have any adult films floating out there. Um, you know, it's it's just becoming something that the Jets don't need right now. This is a team that shouldn't be talking like they're getting ready to make the playoffs. It should be a team getting talking about getting ready for the season and taking the next step. And I think someone needs to sit down with Jamal Adams and uh, certainly talk with him if not take away his Twitter privileges, because right now it's the kind of thing that could derail a season and really make Jamal Adams uh, a gotcha figure, but also put his teammates under the microscope. What do you think about Jamal Adams' comments? What, what do you think about what he said this week? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the love and the attention he seems to be getting. Uh, and keep in mind that uh, another reason why he may not be a perennial pro bowler outside the fact that, the safety position is stacked is Marcus May has been putting up some pretty good numbers. He had, I, I think off mm-hmm. the top of my head, uh, what was it? 79 tackles last year, uh, two INTs, two or three passes defended. If I, if I remember correctly, it, you know, Marcus May may be making a couple pro bowl appearances and uh, the NFL will probably be low to put two teammates from the same secondary uh, on the same team, uh, same AFC team. So, uh, yeah, I think Jamal Adams just needs to calm down some of this rhetoric and maybe enjoy his summer. Yeah, and it's not even a fact, because I, I know because people said it to me on Twitter, and I'm sure some people listen, like, oh, you're just a cranky old man. You don't get it. You're not a kid. Well, you are. And it, you are. It, I, yeah, and, like and those people is. are right. Those people are completely right. However. And I'm not far behind this, you, Glenn. Yeah, in this case, it's more of a – it's not that I don't want the guy to talk. It's just it's a lot of talk, like a lot for, again, for a guy with a year in the league. And I, I, I hope he backs every bit of it up. I hope he never misses another Pro Bowl. I, I hope he gets double-digit interceptions. You know, go go get it. Go get it done. 
But uh, just curious for your thoughts on that because um, I, I did a, a Twitter poll a few weeks ago, and it was pretty pretty. I think the majority said they were fine with it. I love it. Keep talking. Um, and I thought, wow, that's. I, I thought it would be a little more split than it was. But um, to each his own. And um, so, so speaking of, of uh, you know, bold predictions or, or high expectations, um, Jets running back coach Stump Mitchell this week, who I, have, I haven't done it yet, either on the podcast or in an article, but the second he was hired, I said, I know I'm going to call that guy Stump Merrill at some point. It's going <laughs> to happen. Um, hasn't happened yet, but Stump Mitchell talking about uh, second-year second running back Elijah McGuire sixth-round pick, said, uh, was talking about, I believe the main focus of his comments were um, McGuire's versatility or his ability. He's a lot like a Bilal Powell. He probably would have been better suited to say he's like Bilal Powell. He can run it. He can catch. Um, he can block. But he compared him to Ladanian Tomlinson. Um, is that, is that a, a, almost to, a, to his detriment a little, to, to have Eli McGuire walking around thinking that, you know, that, that these are the, uh, the player – this is the player he's being compared to, um, and do you? I think it's more the versatility. But he did say he reminds me of a Ladainian Tomlinson. Um, is, is that something? Do you, do you think he should dial that back a little and perhaps say he reminds me of a a guy like Bilal Powell? Well, at least you didn't say he reminds me of Blair Thomas. Uh, you know, in which case I think a lot. Oh, of that would have been a whole problem. different problem. What would, would, would have probably gone screaming in, in the different direction? Uh, listen, Elijah McGuire is certainly a player who's exciting. I think in some ways um, a little bit disrespected coming out of college, going to Louisiana Lafayette, and keep in mind, Ladainian Tomlinson didn't go where he should have gone in the draft because he went to TCU and, and was a little bit disrespected coming out of there despite some tremendous production. But uh, McGuire and Tomlinson, to me, it's, it's apples and oranges, and it's two different ways to get there. Tomlinson had that speed. Once he got out onto the edge or once he got into the second level, he had the wiggle. He had the elusiveness. Um, he certainly had the ability to be a big play running back. And uh, that, to me, just isn't Elijah McGuire. He, he's a guy who doesn't break many tackles when you look at his college film. He's certainly a very strong running back. He, he's built, to me, more like a Bilal Power, or to me the prototype uh, in recent years has kind of been Ray Rice, the guy with the lower center of gravity, thickly built below, which is certainly not Tomlinson's build. He was built more like a Santonio Holmes wide receiver type uh, in, in many ways, certainly not the height, but uh, just in terms of frame. Uh, in the lower body. Uh, listen, McGuire, I think, is going to bring some things like a Tomlinson. He's a very good receiver out of the backfield, something that people just don't talk about. Uh, he's good with the ball. He doesn't fumble a lot. Again, uh, another similarity to Tomlinson. But when you're talking about, I think, ceiling and, and production and just, quite frankly, running style, I don't know if I necessarily see uh, what Stump Mitchell was saying about uh, the, the similarities between the two because – two very differently built running backs in many ways, two very different running backs in terms of running back style. And, and I also think two different running backs in terms of their college production. Tomlinson uh, put up huge numbers. McGuire's coming off a year at Louisiana Lafayette where uh, he wasn't quite as explosive. So uh, not quite sure if that's a comparison there. I, you know, I didn't hear it before today, but I, I do like somewhat the comparison of Bilal Powell, who, uh, 
isn't that home run hitter, but who can be a guy who will get you a good solid three, four, five yards every carry. Rarely goes, uh, stays in the backfield for too long, but is good, solid, dependable, and a good receiver out of the backfield. And I think uh, if Elijah McGuire has a career similar to Bilal Powell, the, the Jets could have a really nice, balanced backfield for the next two seasons. Yeah, and one thing that uh, for me with, with Elijah McGuire, one thing we didn't get to see nearly enough of that I, you know, when I went back and watched uh, some of his college games after the Jets drafted him, that he's got phenomenal hands. He's not. I, I don't he think he's good, he can be just a good receiver out of the backfield. He can be one of the greats in, in, in pulling the ball down because that guy, he just the number of sort of acrobatic or you know guys on his back on the swing pass and and he's making the catch. I just I really thought. We were going to see more of that from him this year, which the Jets didn't. Uh, they didn't feature him as a receiver as much as I would have liked. But, uh, yeah, I think – and I brought up a point earlier, you know, with Bilal Powell, and this isn't by any stretch a knock on Bilal Powell, but the Jets did try to bring in a couple of guys, you know, uh, this offseason who were very similar to Bilal Powell. So it makes you wonder if they feel like this is his last year with the team or if, uh, or if they're, you know, if they may look to move him before the deadline to get a to get a late round pick it just I just thought it was odd to be high on McGuire to sign Crowell you've got Powell under contract and they also tried to go out and get a couple of guys um, who really were basically younger versions of Bilal Powell yeah to to me Bilal Powell has kind of been unheralded Uh, I certainly hope that Mike McCagnin and Todd Bowles don't feel that way about Powell but uh Listen, Bilal Powell is somebody who's been good, solid running back for an awful lot of his career. He was behind a couple pretty good guys uh, as the number two. I definitely think that uh, over over the past two seasons with more with more carries, he's done a good job. But we we all know who and what Bilal Powell is, what his ceiling is, who and what he's going to be. So for the Jets, maybe to look for somebody who's a bit more explosive, who when he gets into the second level can make one or two players miss, which I, I think is probably the one criticism of Powell's game uh, so far through what is it the six seven years he's been in the NFL is that he's never been that playmaker in the second level when he gets there uh he doesn't fumble the ball he doesn't make a bad mistake but he won't necessarily blow by guys uh he's a good solid blocker he's a great third down running back but uh it really didn't surprise me when you saw some of the names being floated around that uh the jets would be interested in perhaps getting somebody a just a little bit younger b a little bit cheaper uh pal's on a decent contract but certainly isn't high end but still they're they're looking to clear cap room and see, get somebody who's just got a little bit more wiggle when he gets out there in the open. Yeah, the big thing to me, I forget the exact number, <clears throat> excuse me, I forget the exact number, but they offered a, a pretty big chunk of change to Jarek McKinnon before he agreed with uh, with San Francisco, and that was the red flag for me. That was when I saw the numbers, you know, what San Francisco paid to outbid the Jets, I kind of thought there's no way they're bringing in Jarek McKinnon at that price tag um, and keeping the three running backs they have on the roster it could be that Elijah Maguire was the odd man out, but I always, as I said earlier in the show, I always kind of, if I'm looking at a depth chart and who the odd man out is, especially at running back, I'm kind of looking at who's the guy who's a year or two from being over the hill. Um, and that's you're closer to that with Bilal Powell than you are with Elijah Maguire. 
But um, and, and, either way, and let's we're be honest, there have, been, there have been a lot of NFL teams, and there are a few out there right now who overpaid for a running back and now have a very expensive, uh, you know, bench warmer out there. So I think the Jets could be looking. I would be very surprised if Bilal Powell, after suffering through all these seasons with the Jets, uh, would be a part of, of what could be a more final product for the Jets in 2019. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, Christian. Thank you so much for calling in. Really appreciate your time, as always. And I uh, look forward to uh, you joining us again next week. Uh, I look forward to it. And I don't care if anyone says you're a fuddy-duddy. You're our fuddy-duddy. I, that, 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 I can tell that comes from the heart, Christian, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> Have a great night. All right, so that is uh, Christian Dyer from Metro. He covers the Jets. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Jets and Giants from Metro New York. Check him out on Twitter, and uh, check him out at Metro. See what he's got going on. Also covers a little bit of uh, Red Bulls, or a lot of uh, New York Red Bulls for those soccer fans. So that'll wrap things up for us tonight. Uh, Chad Cascadden, Christian Dyer, a couple of uh, really good interviews, some good info, some really solid opinions. So for those of you who uh, took the time to tune in or to download or whatever it may be, it is greatly appreciated. And we look forward to joining us again next week. Thank you very much, and you guys have a great night.